Hey, Eric, that's a sweet parka you're wearing. I know. Yep. I always wear it in Nerd Cave when I'm going to have some popcorn. So. Oh, yeah. I, hey. I made a bowl. You want some? Thank you. Thank you. Do you want some root beer to wash that down? <laughs> yeah. By the way, that was a really rad hammock that you hung up outside, too. You know, I got it on eBay. Yeah? For like 20 bucks. That's a good deal on Free a hammock. Shipping. I like it. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, shoot. Wait, what time is it? Is the hockey game on? Oh, I think we the gotta, Sharks are playing. Yeah, yep. we got to go watch the Sharks play. All right. Let's, hey, where's Brian? Funny thing about that, we were uh, we were watching Avengers the other day, yeah. and uh, Brian decided to try peyote. Oh, um, no. He's not trying to watch yeah. things in 3D again, is yeah. he? Yeah. Oh, God. So he basically, when Robert Downey Jr. came on the screen, he just ran out of the room screaming, the snails. Oh, my God, the snails. And uh, we haven't seen him since. Um, mm. He's presumed dead or in a sweat lodge somewhere. So... All right. About that. Yeah. You want to go watch the game? Yeah. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Eric Brickmont. And I am Brian Moriarty. Yes, you are. Actually alive. Wow. <laughs> How about what a trip that, that was. <laughs> You're still a little sweaty and scratched up. But... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Definitely. And about um, 10 pounds lighter. Yeah, you look good, yeah, though. It's a wonderful weight loss plan. <laughs> I just want to say, I probably walked 150 miles. That's why you lose so much weight. And Disneyland was super fun because <laughs> Disneyland, <laughs> I, I went back. And it, did you know that they the characters now can actually talk with mouths moving now? It is so trippy. <laughs> It was so, so trippy. And what was even trippier is I was on the Storybook Land ride, and the caterpillar started talking to me, which he was the boat at the same time, so I was really, really tense about that. But, um, yeah, then after uh, after all the vomiting, I was good. That's good. Great. That's good. Well, yeah. I'm glad you made it through. Course, Magic Mountain will never be the same. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I'm good. I'm good. <clears throat> Flashback! <laughs> uh, yeah, Space Mountain was um, was an experience. I, I traveled to Venus, actually. Oh, oh. Yeah, that was really something. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> this is very, very warm. Very a warm. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure, indeed. Probably fixed your back, though, I imagine. It did. Yeah. That's good. It did. That's good. Anyway, what are we talking about tonight, guys? God knows. This is why I wish it was a video pro- podcast, because what you didn't see is I just had this vacant stare off, off to the left after that. The 50-yard camera left. <laughs> anyway... Oh, well, what's, what's happening in a couple of days, guys? Uh, National Binge Eating Day. That's true, yes. <laughs> get your get your belts with an extra notch in it now. Or, or No, wait, that would be the other way around. Um, basically, what you need to do is all watch the episode of Friends in which Joey uses Rachel's Pregnant maternity pants, pants which yes. he calls turkey pants. Yes. Yep. <laughs> pants stretchy. with elastic and yes. like a special yeah. waist on the top. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Otherwise known as Sarah's least favorite holiday. Womp really? womp. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that. We've like already established this a couple years ago. Oh, She's that's not right. Crazy about turkey. Loves pumpkin pie, though. I love pumpkin pie and I love candy dams. I love the food, but I don't like binge eating. I don't like watching other people binge eat. And I think that the meaning and the sense of the holiday have, are completely lost. And I think it's rooted in corruption. But that's just me personally. <laughs> Sarah Ashley. <laughs> a the cloud voice of for every silver lining. <laughs> Cloud, what did you say? A cloud for every silver lining. <laughs> that's that's well done, sir. That's very clever. Hey, I'm fairly optimistic about a lot of stuff, but that, come on. But screw Thanksgiving. But screw Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, folks, that is right, though. Whether it's your least favorite holiday 
or just an excuse to uh, to put on a couple of pounds. Thanksgiving is coming up in just a couple of days, and it's a it's a big holiday. Yeah. By the way, the myth that you get chunky from eating the Thanksgiving dinner slash the leftovers that last you a week and a half um, <clears throat> is not really true. Like they've they've done tests and done studies, you gain maybe about a pound and a half uh, over the course of a weekend, even if even if you're going completely nuts with the way you eat your food. So. It's really, guys, don't don't worry about it too much. Just no, let your pants out, and you'll you'll be fine. Just and, don't celebrate Thanksgiving all month long, and you'll be fine. Exactly. And actually schedule your bathroom time. That's really helpful, especially for the other people in your household. I agree. Yeah. Um, I find espresso is very good at that. <laughs> just saying. Eric's just like, ew, gross. <laughs> yeah, seriously? You guys all have to do that? Wow. <laughs> have more than one bathroom in your house. Problem solved. <laughs> Says the guy who has one bathroom in his house. Well, yes, but for Thanksgiving, we go to my sister's house. Oh, there She's you go. She's got like seven. <laughs> a, pers- a bathroom each for everybody. A bathroom for every person. We actually bring in porta potties and we leave them in the, in the front yard. That's clever yeah. and disgusting. Mm-hmm. It is indeed. <laughs> Neighbors hate us, but, uh, but we're... <laughs> This episode has already gone downhill so quickly. I know. <laughs> so <laughs> what are we actually talking about <laughs> yes, tonight? <indeed. clears throat> Well, one of the most iconic uh, symbols of Thanksgiving is, of course, the very first Thanksgiving. And an integral part of that was the Native Americans who were invited. Or I think what I should really say is the American Indians, because uh, I think we've established this on a previous episode that the term Native American is quickly becoming outdated. But in fact, we are talking about the American Indians, and that encompasses North, Central, South America, uh, a whole bunch of really fantastic and amazing people. And, um, you know... They gave so much that first Thanksgiving, but honestly, they've given so much more throughout the, the course of history. Uh, and we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, I think it's really important to talk about the contributions of the American Indians or indigenous peoples um, outside of the European settler lens yes. <laughs> to go beyond that. So because, you know, there's a there's a lot of rich history there. But I think it warrants, at least for just a few moments, setting the stage. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I would like to talk, if I can indulge you in the audience for a little bit, just about how people came to the Americas in the first place. Uh, and it's it's worth talking about for a lot of reasons, because, well, if they hadn't, there would be no, no Native Americans at all. So mm-hmm. that's a pretty important contribution, bringing people into the Americas, having an actual established population here before anybody else. Um and it's one that's changing. This view and this idea that we have has gone through a lot of uh, alterations over the past couple of years. And it's been the kind of thing where 10, 15 years ago, any talk about, you know, the changing of the established ideas around when and how, you know, the American Indians came to be in this part of the world uh, was immediately met with hostility on all sides of it. And the scientific community, uh, by the the tribes themselves, nobody wanted to talk about it. There was an established time, let's say between ten and twelve thousand years ago. People came over the barren land straight when the glaciers had receded during the last ice age, and that's when people came in, and that was it. There was no other conversation. <clears throat> that's changed a lot now. Yeah, and it's changed because of a lot of things like improved radiocarbon dating, uh, and also looking at ancient genetics, which is something that has really moved forward uh, just in this past fifteen and twenty years. Uh, looking at the remains of certain individuals and being able to trace that lineage back uh, on the mitochondrial DNA side all the way back to Asia. Uh, and in doing so, we're finding that the you know American populations that are here now are most closely related to tribes in Siberia, mm-hmm. which makes sense. 
okay, they came over the, the Bering Land Strait, and there they are. What doesn't make sense is that genetic divergence isn't happening 12,000 years ago. It's happening closer to 20,000 years ago. Mm. So this is really big gap now that exists that, that wasn't there before. The problem with that is if you look at the climate at that time, that Bering Land Strait was not accessible during that time. I have my theory. What's your theory? If you say aliens, I'm going to come up and I'm going to smack you across the face. God damn it, sir. You stole my punchline. I was going to say aliens. But <laughs> Sarah, hit him. Harder. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I feel nothing. It's fine. <laughs> I feel nothing because the aliens have protected me. <laughs> no, it's still the peyote. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so here's, here's the interesting idea. How, how do people come across then? Well, archaeologically, you're looking at the record there of all the flora and fauna that were along the coastline. They don't just magically disappear, you know, 20, 15,000 years ago. They're still there. The coastline was still accessible. And it's not without reason to think that these folks came over via boat or traveled along That's the coast. That's what I was going to say. Actually, yeah. that was been my real theory. Is it, is it really that far-fetched to assume that these guys couldn't have created some sort of maritime craft to get across the well, water? Here, here's the problem with the coastlines. They're constantly... Some sort of... I'm sorry. I'm like, yeah, they had boats. Yes, some sort of maritime craft. <laughs> it could have been, because here's why. It could have been, it could have been a raft. It, it could have been a it boat. Could, it could have been a log. Yeah, so they it just could have been a cruise some, ship. Some kind of boat. It kind of covers <laughs> all of that. But thank you, Brian. I just, I just love that you had to elaborate. Specificity. Right. Specificity. Yes. <clears throat> Listeners, isn't it fun having Sarah on now? <laughs> yes, now I have a person who can criticize my choice of words. It's fun. <laughs> I just like to call people out on their bullshit. That's all. <laughs> That's one, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. That's Oopsies. one. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to have some sort of contest. I know. How many episodes in uh, will it take before Sarah does not have a single swear? Uh throughout the episode so listeners start placing your bets now uh i'm gonna bet somewhere in april <laughs> i'm gonna say sometime in 2016 oh wow yeah that's pretty, well okay i can see that but we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll see and whoever wins uh gets uh, a t-shirt and some peyote all right <laughs> wow can i that. join this contest <laughs> no oh um yes some sort of maritime craft was was used to to travel down the coast yeah uh, we, we know this because we've, we have found some remains that, that indicate that there were people inhabiting that area. But that's the thing. The coastlines are easily eroded. Mm -hmm. uh, archaeological evidence does not often survive in those areas very easily. So this is a bit of theory. There's, there's not a lot of solid proof. What we're seeing is more proof is, is the remains of the people who actually made it here and when those are dated and that's where the radiocarbon data mm -hmm. comes in and we're seeing more dates that are predating pre going back further some of them are contested but they're usually ranging anywhere from between 15 and 13,000 years ago which would push it back you know a good 500 to a thousand years earlier than what had been accepted before hmm. uh, some folks think that Europeans came over much earlier and were actually the ones who became the Clovis people that is utter garbage in my personal and professional. Are you referring opinion. to the Viking theory, or no? This, is, this predates Vikings. This is uh, this that is... that sounds like some yeah. This is some anthropological the racism to me. Yeah, now that I yes. now that I, you recall it, I do remember hearing it. And you know, honestly, I mean, that's 
this is what the purpose of science is, is to challenge the status quo, but challenge it and prove it yeah. with data. And so we're seeing that on twofold. We're seeing it now with challenging the Bering Strait theory, mm-hmm. but we're also now seeing it challenged, challenging that theory altogether. And that's always going to happen. It seems a little incredulous that the ancient Europeans would have been able to have uh, done that. But, you know, it's a theory nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I believe it's called the Sultrian hypothesis, if I'm remembering that correctly. I... But it, it, it is kind of garbage. I mean, the DNA testing that's actually being done on those sites that are being proposed to actually mm-hmm. be these European pre-Clovis people are showing that their DNA is so much more closely connected to the Siberians. And yes, there's a little bit of Western Eurasian DNA in there, but so is their Western Eurasian DNA in the people of Siberia. So yeah. it makes sense that those folks came over... Not through Europe, but the other they way. They kept going, kept going, kept going. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and tribes in Siberia were fairly, and still are, fairly nomadic. Yeah. Um. So it's not impossible to believe. And then the, here's the other thing, though. Just to kind of take away from the scientific aspect of it and more of the human aspect. Like, what... I I really appreciate that sense of, hey, it looks like there's land across this giant body of water. Let's go there. That'd be fun. Like, I kind of want to know what the what has driven of, that. Yeah, you know, exactly. what was what was the motivation to get there? And well, it, climate is usually more than anything. Yeah, we've yeah. seen that with other examples of human migration, including mm-hmm. uh, Europeans moving into Europe. Didn't yeah, work all, all too well when they got closed off. But by who's to but who's age. to say that? I mean, they don't know that the climate's so much better across the ocean. Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head, though, Sarah. It's that it's man's innate sense of curiosity. Yeah. You know, there's land over there we've never seen before. I wonder if there are people over there. I wonder what's on the other side of that body of water, you know? If you guys ever read Neil Gaiman's um, American Gods, there's, like, kind of a little in-between chapter in that book about um, a a god telling people to actually go across and go settle in America. And it's actually very, very fascinating and obviously fiction, but really fun fiction. So you guys should read that book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, uh, I'll finish on this note by saying that some of that initial resistance to this theory was not just by hardline, you know, scientists who didn't want to have to rewrite the textbooks and change their thesis papers. Uh, it came down to also the indigenous peoples who didn't want to accept one of the theories about early pre-Clovis people being that they came in, uh, that being the indigenous peoples that we know today came in and wiped that other group of people out. Mm-hmm. That's also a theory that's pretty much been replaced now by the idea that it was waves of migrations that were coming in just over a much longer period of time than people were thinking. And coming down and into Central and South America, perhaps also as early as, you know, thirteen or 14,000 years ago, which is pretty huge. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a fast migration of a very large number of people that would eventually end up by the time, you know, Columbus arrived in the New World at about 20 million uh, so that that's a that's a good number of, of of people coming over quickly, establishing their roots, and then diversifying and becoming all these amazing cultures and language groups that and having many you know, many babies, today. lots of babies, got many, have many babies. babies. I yes, know indeed. all about that. I'm very very good at that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Ew. <laughs> Just had to throw that out there. <laughs> uh, but that sets us up to where we are today. <laughs> Awkward pause. Eric, Eric just bragged about his mating prowess on a podcast. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. It's it's. I'm human. Yes. It's what we do the best. Is we, we procreate. It has no negative impact on the world at, at all. The world <laughs> is fine. Overpopulation is a myth. That's a joke. 
Anyway. But anyhow. Slow exhale. That brings <clears throat> us to where Europeans were then first introduced to Native Americans. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about some of the things that, in perhaps doing not so wonderful things to our new friends, ended up gaining in return, however. Yeah, so the if we're going to specifically refer to the Plymouth people, the people who came from England, um, their, their challenges were that they thought they knew what the new world was going to have in store for them, and they were grossly wrong yeah. about what... Uh, they had no idea how cold the winters were going to be. They had a lot of their food did not make it over across the trip. So they had been forced to now grow food. And they also had no idea how to grow with the soil that was in America, and particularly in this case, New England, uh, what would eventually become New England. So they were starving. And a lot of the people started being wiped out uh, just because they just they were having they were struggling to survive and they couldn't make the journey back across the Atlantic back to England. So they were in a really tough spot. Totally, let's be totally fair here. And thankfully, it was because of the indigenous peoples who helped them learn how to grow food in the first place. Uh, particularly, it was the use of, was it fish meat with uh, corn seeds? So that it was, it provided enough fat and protein to protect the seeds during the winter so they could yeah, sprout. Yeah, like a, like a mm -hmm. fertilizer. Right. I believe that was Squanto, wasn't it, that helped out with that? Yes. Yes. So corn's actually a really big deal as far as um, an yes, as, as far as a contribution to the entire world. Right. Um, I because corn grows so easily and with so much efficiency. Um, that's I mean, and they found other places to plant corn, et cetera, et cetera. And that's like something that's actually keeping most of the world fed. Yeah, yeah. and well, the, which the is thing remarkable. Is, yeah, that's the thing. Corn is arguably a weed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In that it can grow in pretty much any climate. Mm -hmm. um, it is adaptable. Um, and yes, we have now become heavily, heavily, heavily dependent on corn. A little too dependent. Uh, yeah. For our agricultural. And the, the irony of that is the human body isn't actually supposed to have corn. It doesn't really know how to digest it. So we have to do things to it. And that's a whole other argument. Yeah. About processing food. In the United States right now. We have 96 million acres of land reserved just for corn production. Yes, Good it's called Lord. Iowa. Yeah, <laughs> it is. East and central uh, uh, Iowa, yeah. Or, sorry, northwest and central uh, Iowa and eastern Illinois is the is the number one area of corn production yeah. in the United States. But that's not to say that corn byproducts aren't entirely useful. You know, there's a lot of good stuff that we do get from corn, even though... Yes, yeah, so you can make biodegradable plastics out of mm -hmm. them, which is really, really great. Mm -hmm. Corn great. cups. Corn cups. Um, and it itself originally was discovered by the Central Americans mm -hmm. uh, in the areas in and around Mexico. And they traded north with their, their northern cousins, uh, where it gained a, a really good foothold up yes. here. Uh, for the record, for those who are wanting to know botanically what is corn, it's technically a grass. Yeah. A grass slash green. Yeah. Uh, so. And for our British listeners, we are not talking about barley. No. <laughs> Which is the actual, thank you for clarifying that. The word corn was an English projection. It was what we called it, it was maize. And it was what the English called maize for many years until, I think, up until the United States. Right. American culture decided just to rename it. Which makes a corn maize awfully repetitive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Damn it, how did I not make that joke? I don't know, but I beat it. I beat oh. you. I beat you. <laughs> the dynamic of this podcast has shifted dramatically. <laughs> I, I must still be get taken off the peyote, coming off the peyote because 
nothing. Nothing. You got nothing. Yeah, you got nothing. nothing. (laughs) That's all right. Um, But with uh, the, you know, spread of corn across the world, uh, the American Indian also invented popcorn. Of course, because they realized, oh, these kernels, I wonder what they do if we dry them and then we heat them up really, really fast. Oh, they explode. But we can eat the explosion. How fun. (laughs) How delightful. And it changed the movie-going experience forever. (laughs) And the movie theater was born. (laughs) So really, you can thank the American Indian for Hollywood. (laughs) Um, So while we're talking about that... I don't want to shift the blame to anybody for that. Thankfully, the USDA has a wonderful list of the foods that um, that were developed by the indigenous peoples and that... American culture has benefited ooh, from. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah. Chocolate and vanilla. Chocolate and vanilla. Vanilla mostly from Mexico, but absolutely, definitely well, it's valid. Still, well, still, those are still the All American of the Indians. Americas. Yep. Absolutely. We're talking about all the Americas. So corn, of course, is actually popcorn. Um, wild rice. Uh, 14 varieties of bean. Oh. Yes. Uh, squash and pumpkins, no surprise there. Oh, my God. I Seriously? Okay, this is this is a weird thing. I love squash. I just, and gourds and squash and things. Those are like some of my favorite foods. I love squash. Do you know I love squash with cranberries? Another uh, indigenous people contribution. There we go. To it. Uh, Though cranberries were very, very tart, as we talked about in our first uh, foray into Thanksgiving. So they probably didn't sweeten them for Thanksgiving dinner. But Mm. they were berries that they had made use of. Uh, As well as maple sugar and syrup. Oh, thank you. Yes. Make, by the way, have you guys ever heard about the making of maple syrup? Fascinating what mm-hmm. they have to do. They basically, it's literally, they... It's like you drain the tree. Yeah, you literally, you hammer a plug in the uh-huh. tree and the tree just drips out maple water. Yeah. Which is basically water with a faint taste of maple to it. Yeah. Mm. Apparently it's delicious and mm-hmm. also highly nutritious for you. Mm-hmm. And then they distill that down into maple syrup later yeah. on. I actually, there's like places where you can go and actually make maple syrup, and I really want to do that. That's mm-hmm. like one of my little. And if you've ever haven't had bucket list true things. Vermont maple syrup, stop what you're doing. <laughs> go to Trader Joe's. They sell them by the jug. Get some. It beats the crap out of anything. Mrs. Butterworth will will well, give you. Well, sure, but like, what about like real Canadian maple syrup? Oh, lady, you're going down. <laughs> Very dark and delicious rabbit hole right now. (laughs) (laughs) And a sticky one at that. Yes, Um, indeed. So they also, pretty important to just the the food contribution, they invented freeze drying. Oh, absolutely, yeah. um, By actually taking potatoes and putting them on the tops of mountains. Potatoes? We haven't even talked about that yet either. Yes. Oh, yeah. Discovered potatoes. Awesome. Um, But yeah, you you can take potatoes, put them atop mountains, and they're like frozen and it evaporates the moisture right out that's um, awesome they also capitalized on turkeys even though we did talk about there was a european uh peahen that was called that that's what they called the turkeys last time oh, okay uh, yeah that's where the term turkey came from is because there was a mm-hmm. peahen that was native to turkey oh, right. okay that's where the europeans called it that bam fun fact number five um but who's counting clam bakes another thing that they contributed oh. to of course it makes sense if you're a tribe that is uh native to and that's the proper use in that case, native to the parts of northern uh, North Eng- or northern New England, you're gonna in Maine, you're gonna be relying heavily on uh, sea life exactly yeah. for your food, um, and of course, as you said, since we're talking about uh, preserving, also jerky, yeah, drying their meat was a huge mm-hmm. uh, contribution that they brought to the table too. 
Well, did they invent that though? I mean, Europeans knew about that beforehand, right? They had they had been drying food for. It quite may have been some the time. technique they used though. Okay, the, so the, a specific technique. Yeah. Okay. Fair uh, chewing gum. Yes, chitle. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And the gum tree in, in particular. <clears throat> right. Uh, well, it was, so it was um, spruce sap. Yeah. That um, that the American Indians were um, actually giving to the colonists in New England um, to to non. But yeah, absolutely, gum tree is yes. extremely important. Um, what since we're talking about produce still, and now we're talking about food. So of course, tomatoes mm-hmm. were also a New World uh, convention and deemed poisonous by Europeans until many many years. Which it's because it was in the nightshade family. That's why they yeah. thought yep. it. But yep. it's not actually. Obviously, we know it's not. In fact, lycopene is essential to uh your well-being and lycopene is rich inside of or tomatoes are rich with lycopene uh avocado eric's kryptonite oh i'm so sorry eric i love avocado i know you're allergic Um, and then we'll go just really really quick uh pineapples of course you mentioned chocolate Mm -hmm. peanuts you mentioned chewing gum already and then of course you already mentioned peanuts really Mm -hmm. peanuts yes Mm. are a north american uh I think yeah, definitely. For, I think it's North American. I, I could be wrong, but it's definitely an American. Then what did George Washington Carver do? Yeah. So common misconception: he did not invent or discover the peanut. Mm-hmm. Rather, he innovated over a hundred different uses for okay. the peanut, including one of them was a cr- uh, using them as a uh, crop rotation uh, cycle oh, for okay. getting the most of your nutrients for crops. So great, cool. Yeah, to bring it back soil, to popcorn, just to finish out this little segment on food for a moment. Sure. Uh, I did want to mention that the Inca had a unique use for it because they actually used it to cover uh, the and decorate the burial mounds for the dead. So they pop popcorn and put over dead bodies. Did they really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And uh, some of that dates back uh, as evidence found over 3,000 years ago. Some people think even further back than that. Could have gone so back as far back as 6,000 years We've ago. now progressed from dead bodies to dead trees now yes excellent um well just to kind of talk about some of the weathered gear like the outdoor kind of you know for for all you sporting types for yes indeed yes they've manufactured (laughs) i should say (laughs) manufactured they've contributed quite a bit to the uh outdoor lifestyle yeah um so parkas uh like we mentioned our air in our cold open right there um they were um, made from uh, caribou, actually caribou fur, um, for a long time, and kind of fashioned from you know skins and furs. Moccasins, clearly, were, Animal hides, yes. clearly, yeah, yes. clearly. Um, duck decoys. Duck decoys. Yeah, for hunting. Oh, like they would actually stuff ducks and use them. They, as a... they would construct them from feathers and reeds. Really? Yeah. That is really mm-hmm. really cool. Huh. Um, they've they've found um, two thousand year old duck decoys in Nevada around like nineteen twenty four or something like that. That yeah. is cool. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, and they kind of also had their own version of snow goggles that they would use from um, that like the Eskimos had used um, with like walrus tusks and narrow slits through the eyes so you could still so you could still see out but keep your eyes protected huh isn't that really fascinating it is very fascinating yeah and also helped kind of um uh get rid of the glare that you got from the snow and reflection and stuff huh. so it's really really inventive so basically like ancient sunglasses in a way yeah yeah, yeah. and of course <clears throat> camouflage oh yes absolutely which i mean so so much more contributed to fashion than just hipster headbands and lots and lots of fringe i mean it was camouflage it was the guerrilla warfare that we 
that was critical to us winning the American Revolution. Yeah. Right? We learned that from the natives, and mm-hmm. we learned that because of the French-Indian War. Yeah. Right? So... Um, As opposed to, you know, certain European tribes that decided, let's paint ourselves blue so we stand out, <laughs> the Celtic <right>. warriors. <laughs> yes, indeed. But then again, the, I mean, let's just say it, and I'll just use number two for the episode. Uh, let's just fix it. The Celts were a little bit yeah, a little bit. Well, absolutely, actually covered in in feces. Yes, indeed. And lime. Yeah. And blue. Yes. And charged at their enemies naked. Yes. And they're just like these guys are crazy. I, I have never been more proud to be Irish. Um, <laughs> it's an and that was not technique. on peyote. <laughs> that was that was legit. It's an effective technique though, because you do that once. Just once. Yeah. And you will always be known as the naked blue people with feces on them. <laughs> and no, whether you're doing it or not, people will clear the way. You're like, and like take my lance. Yep. Go well, ahead. We could invade England, sir. Well, well, why not? Well, you see, the Celts. Celts are still in good parts of it. Oh, right. The Celts. The crazy ones <laughs> with the blue and the dung in their hair. Yes. Let's, um, let's go to Spain, shall we? <laughs> let's go to Spain first. Maybe we'll circle back to it if we have time. <laughs> they have lovely beaches in Spain. Let's right. go there. Yes, apparently the Romans were British all of a sudden. Yes, clearly. Well, well I mean, according evil. to Hollywood, <laughs> anybody who's from Europe has a British accent. <laughs> or anyone who's evil, especially yes. from space, yeah. has to have a British accent. Yes, yes exactly. <clears throat> um, what other stuff did they um, invent that's actually really, really cool? They discovered the crucial ingredient for aspirin. Yeah. And other painkillers. So that's that's pretty fascinating. I think that is um, a certain acid that actually comes from a, speci- well, a specific plant. I would argue a lot of just herb- herbology being used for medicine mm-hmm. would be derived from, well, both from African culture as well as from yeah. indigenous American culture. Because let's face it, what were the Europe's doing? Europeans doing? What were the Europe's doing? <laughs> what were the Europeans doing? They were bleeding people because they thought that yes. the it was in their blood or using leeches to mm-hmm. suck the illness out of them very very mystically based yeah. techniques well thank you middle ages yeah. <laughs> the enlightenment clearly <laughs> that was the real enlightenment mm-hmm. just in case you were wondering what about what about words that we use every day there are a lot of words that the the indigenous peoples have given to us as well like barbecue for example is one of them i mean it's been telephoned a little bit though because i believe the spanish had a term for it too which is the still used to tell you barbacoa it's what they use for well that's uh, for roasted is that spanish like as in spain spanish or is that i think it's spanish putting their spin off of the native word i don't know what the native word did it go native and then go spanish that's a good question highly possible as well yeah uh chipmunk chipmunk was gonna be the one i was gonna say okay yeah skunk is another one uh mahogany is kind of obvious yes uh hurricane which I found to be very interesting, um, is also an indigenous word. Um, and many of the towns uh, and cities and rivers and places around the United States are also derived, obviously, from from those original territories and the names yeah, that they sure. have. Yeah, sure. Like Spokane, for example, or well, Seattle. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, um, yeah. Oh, or... Ottawa, Miami. As I so learned from Alice Cooper in Wayne's World, Milwaukee was Milwaukee. originally... Milwaukee. Milwaukee, yes. Milwaukee. which means the Great Land. <laughs> <laughs> that was such an amazing scene. And, uh, and, and uh, Wichita. Wichita, of course. Yes. Of course. Well, yes. Yes. Indeed. Tons of words. And I think even several of our state's names are all, all have derivatives. Dakota. Dakota, sure. sure. Well, from the Lakota tribes mm-hmm. as well. I think 17 out of the... The 50 states 
yeah. have uh, have native names? California, not one of them, believe it or not. Nope. Nope. That comes from another myth. I would love to do an episode on the history of California, by the way, at least the origins of California. Another time. But we, just... we could just do an episode on the gold rush and bam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just know the idea that because California was originally a mythical place. That's why I'm kind of. Okay. Oh, that's why I want to talk about it. Correct myself. 21. 21. 21 states in the union. Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Connecticut, Dakota, Illinois, Iowa, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, New Mexico, Ohio, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and everyone's favorite, Wisconsin. New Mexico is cheating, though. <laughs> yeah, it is cheating a little bit. But it's a New Mexico. It's a New Mexico, not the old one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is named after an Aztec god. Come on, people! Right. Still counts. So, other cool things. Um, lacrosse. Hockey and just rubber balls in general. <laughs> of course, Sarah's going to love that. Um, so, well, actually, yeah, so lacrosse and hockey both have a kind of a derivative of shinny. Yes. Shinny is a stickball game mm -hmm. um, that was developed by the natives. And it was played over ice. And they were, I got to say, the original game is pretty badass because you run on the ice yeah. with a stick and you chase the ball. And, of course, originally it, was, it may have been rocks at one point, but then they developed the rubber balls instead. Um pretty awesome well yeah, yeah. We, we touched on this a little bit earlier when we talked about cultivating you know rubber trees but you know latex um is tapped directly from rubber trees i mean the, the whole rubber industry wouldn't exist if it wasn't for yeah absolutely americans yeah very important mm -hmm. discovery and there was the nordics who actually had developed ice skates so they mm -hmm. wouldn't have they wouldn't have that cross-pollination wouldn't have happened until but the snowshoe did come from the snowshoe yeah. did yes indigenous peoples yes yes which is good for snow but not for ice true that's the other thing. So, but I whatever. To throw it in there. I had an opportunity. Quidditch um, ain't got nothing on Shinny. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> there you go. Well, here's the fun thing. We've talked about outdoorsy stuff and we talked about food. What about the indigenous contribution to politics? Did you guys know that the six nations of the Iroquois were a confederacy? The Great ah. Laws of Peace. Yes, the Great, the great Law Laws of Peace. Of peace. Excuse me. Yes. So, the confederate nations of the Iroquois were the Mohawk, the Oneida, the uh, Onondaga, the Cayuga. And the Seneca nations. And then eventually in 1722, the Tuscarora tribe also joined the League. Why is this important? Well, let's think about what was our first system of government before our constitution was put in place? A confederacy. A confederacy. The mm -hmm. Articles of Confederation. Where do you think they got that idea from, guys? The Native I don't Americans. Know. Or, sorry, the American Indians. To be more specific, the Iroquois, right? The Iroquois had delegates who were sent to the Continental Congress. It's at this point where you can feel your brain going, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because mind-blowing. The What was eventually used as, and then, then, of course, we went from confederal to just a federal government, but the fact that, like, they simply suggested that as a system of government and were welcomed and they discussed with the Continental Congress that that was a possibility, that blew my mind. And the fact that, like, we didn't know that and that we weren't taught that in history growing up. Yeah. Really, really quite shocking. Well, yeah. I mean, if we if we didn't learn about, you know, that in history class, because we were learning about, you know, democracy from the Greek philosophers or, you know, the, the Roman Senate and, and that kind of thing. Like, sure. we didn't that that whole segment is just completely eliminated. But what it does confirm for me is the sense that really, if you want to talk about what is American culture, American culture is an amalgam. Mm -hmm. And this proves it even further. Our system of government is, in fact, an amalgam of a couple different things including something that is truly and natively an American concept, which I think is really kind of cool. Yeah. So. Well, and even then, didn't the, was our idea of having a united 
set of states rather influential in the European Union as sure. well. So it's it, yeah, even, even beyond that, it's even more of a global impact. Sure. So. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we just arguably the United Nations too. The the United yeah. Nations is more confederal. Than, Which before that was was yeah. it the League of Nations. The League of Nations, which never really even yeah, didn't even happen. It worked. is a bit ironic, though, when you consider that the Iroquois also joined sides with the British in the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's because we were screwing them over. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not saying it was a bad decision or a wrong decision. I'm just saying that it is interesting uh, that even with all of that, we would still, you know, look past those prejudices and look to what you know we needed to, yeah. to help forge a nation. It is a common misconception to think that. The Europeans just came in and conquered everything. Yes, that ultimately did was the result, but how it happened is a lot more tumultuous yeah. than we, we think. A lot of deception, mm-hmm. so much deception, where we would come in and sign some treaties with some tribes, and they think that, you know, based on translation, they're getting something, but they're not actually getting, and they're end up just getting the raw end of the deal. But it's okay, because we have a shiny metal with our president's face on it that you can have. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, it's even more than that. It's it's the fact that there was deliberate man- man- manipulation, yeah. manipulating tribes against one, one yeah. another, making false promises, having them fight wars that then resulted in both of them being weakened so that we could literally just break our promise to begin with and, and go in yeah. and forcefully remo- remove them. And the constant rewriting of all of these laws over and mm-hmm. over and over sure. again to satisfy whichever administration wanted to keep moving yeah. west. Yeah. It's yeah, a and lot of terrible things. <clears throat> smallpox blankets. That too. Here's one other thing we didn't get from the Iroquois. Didn't get. was her sense of gender roles. Because oh yeah yeah because in the Iroquois League yeah in those nations mm-hmm. women were completely equal to men in fact they had two distinct functions clan mothers mm-hmm. to be more specific clan mothers I mean in in most of the native cultures women had a, were held in a higher esteem because of the fact they could procreate yeah. right and well really obviously you need a man too but because they have the ability to birth and look yeah. after children yeah that gives them a wisdom and an insight that that men don't have. So even though men were the nominal leaders, they were appointed by the clan mothers. And the clan mothers also had the power to depose them if they weren't yeah. uh, doing their job correctly. And it was their wisdom they referred to. In a way, almost like a, in a uh, it's a kind of not a straight parallel, but almost kind of like a, um, a constitutional monarch would be mm-hmm. if they were given a little more, you know, power. Well, and even beyond that... Um... Beyond just those specific gender roles, um, in some, certain tribes, there were um, people called uh, their Burdash, who actually um, were women who were actually living their lives as men, would actually take a wife and would adopt children, or, um, you know, the, the wife would just go get impregnated by somebody else, and have, but, like, raise and have entire families, and yes. that person would be the hunter, you know, and, and have that mm-hmm. kind of... Um, what's considered a more traditional masculine role. Yeah, completely accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, And almost, often revered. No, definitely true. And in fact, all the alternative kind of sexualities were accepted in the native culture. So, uh, Among certain tribes, I think. Yeah. Have you folks heard of uh, Nancy Ward? No. So Nancy Ward, or um, Nanyihai, uh, or sorry, let me say that again, Nanyehi, uh, was probably the most famous of Cherokee women of what were known as the beloved women, or these these very powerful, uh, both sp- spiritual, military, and diplomatic leaders within the Cherokee Nation. Um, she really helped to 
kind of define what the the Cherokee Nation would look like over this whole period of of post American Revolution and our early establishment and our beginning to move out west. <clears throat> she helped negotiate a lot of treaties directly. Um, she was involved in several battles before that, uh, one including the death of her husband, where she then kind of assumed the mantle of this this more powerful military leader, and then also more than anything, became this this diplomat who was negotiating these treaties. But she spoke up for Cherokee women and almost kind of restructured Cherokee society. She she It's kind of interesting because I know we're talking about what Native, you know, indigenous people have given to us, but she also took a lot from the Europeans who were coming in and, and used it to her advantage. A whole new loom technology that she brought in, which changed the whole dynamic wow. in her area, mm-hmm. where men... Um, traditionally were were not involved in, in planting and farming. In fact, it was the women who did that and also did the production of clothing. Now, because they had these powerful looms that were allowing them to do so much more, mm-hmm. the women focused on that as an industry to, to you know bolster their own communities. Yeah. And the men were now forced into a more agricultural life, whereas Ugh. they did not have that before. They were more So we can hunting. blame her for the domestication of men. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and thus the moral decay of America. Oh, for God's sakes. This um, is all being said with sarcasm. Yes, it is. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, but she was also, uh, like I said, this great diplomat, but but she was watching as a very sad thing was happening, and that was these lands and that she was negotiating for and, and deploring their sale of, because there were other members in her tribe that were selling their lands off to, to settlers. Um, she, she saw the way things were, were moving. And in a, just a few years before her death, uh, in 1822 or 1824, we're not quite sure when she died exactly. She even kind of predicted the Trail of Tears. And it's really interesting. Wow. She said that she was having these dreams where she would see, you know, thousands of men, women, and children forced to walk with American soldiers behind them. Uh, and it wasn't because she was very, you know, observant of what was going on mm-hmm. in her part of the, the world at that time or was she actually having a, a spiritual vision? I don't know. I'm not that person to make that decision. Uh, all I know is that she did uh, leave a pretty amazing life, more than we have time to talk about in this yeah. format of episode, just because we're going through a lot of these really quickly. But um, she did also marry uh, an American, which is where she gets the name of Ward from. Her, her American name, therefore, was Nancy Ward, mm-hmm. uh, although he was kind of a d- and had a whole other family. That's our third. Her. That's our third. Oh, we can't you use got anymore. me doing it now. Oh my god! I'm sorry. I'm a bad influence. You're a bad influence. Thank God we have bleeping on this episode. Um, but even still, uh, the way they, you know, all the ways that she was treated wrong, she always came out on top. She was this really amazing and very powerful figure. So look into uh, to Nancy Ward <clears throat> or Nan Yahi, uh, as she was known by her Cherokee name. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fairly remarkable. And I, and one thing I do want to clarify though is that we're not. We understand that there are differences with between tribes, and I think um, I don't like. We're just trying to. It's kind of like saying, like, well, a European invented this thing or con- contributed this thing to society, right. right? It's, but what we're trying to say is there is a lot more that was offered to the world and has been valued by the world and has changed the world, that has been contributed by. American Indians, indigenous people in this area, and that's not something that should be taken for granted. Right. Um, and just kind of when you are, you know, at your Thanksgiving table, remember kind of the contributions and what that that first Thanksgiving is really symbolic for something so much more and kind of being um, 
being thankful for aspirin. <laughs> and Which you'll need when you're for when you're yes. with your family for yes. more than three hours. And rubber balls and <laughs> chewing gum and syringes, et cetera, et cetera. So Yes. Yes. One more thing. Uh I want to take just a quick moment, because if you're from the American Southwest, particularly in Arizona, and you have a lot to be thankful for, in particular, the the teachings of the Hohokam, because the Hohokam were uh, one of the, the, the few major prehistoric tribes of, of the Americas in, in this part of America, North America, who had some very strong foundations and did some pretty impressive stuff, including this really fantastic irrigation system that they set up mm. of over 700 miles wow. of irrigation channels. That's crazy. That, that allowed them to live out in the desert and produce enormous amounts of food. All highly sophisticated. The, the whole system itself had several interlinking channels, all could be controlled with the amount of water that was being uh, you know, diverted or given uh, to a particular area. They had uh, all of this constructed with, with very simple techniques. We're talking about you know, stone tools that were used to carve out these massive channels. And they were huge. Um, you know, some of them are, are one single channel alone is 20 miles long. Mm-hmm. 20 miles. That's crazy. Uh, and above them, to bring us back to our very first episode of Nerds on History Ever are some lovely mounds. Uh, and these particular mounds were thought to most likely be the the area's, you know, local leader or chieftain or tribal leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, you know, the seat of power, if you will. But they were also thought to have a practical use in that they could be used to stand above the channels and monitor their distribution of the waters and how everything goes. Cool. Uh, and, you know, they had to lower the grade uh, of the actual channels, you know, feet by feet as they were going to... to you know, facilitate the movement of water. Gravity. And that that's a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. To be able to plan and execute all of that yeah. requires extreme coordination and organization. And it's no big surprise that these folks are neighbors to the Anasazi, who we've talked about in the past. Oh, yeah. Uh, who were brilliant scientists and astronomers and mathematicians. Uh, it, no big surprise that these folks, uh, you know, were, were relatively near one another, relatively near one another. They certainly had trade routes that were open with each other. Um but it's something that I wanted to mention because there are parts of modern-day Phoenix where you can find the remnants of these ancient channels. And a lot of early settlers into that area came across them. Uh, some kind of knew what to do with them. Others had to actually pay less for their land because of the money it would take to fill them in. Uh, but now modern historians and archaeologists are recognizing their importance and you know they're being unearthed and being learned from. Uh, just how amazing Hohokam, um, you know, culture was. And its contributions. Just throwing it out there. Just a little bit of irrigation. Just a little tidbit for you. Yeah, just a little bit right there. (laughs) It's not quite as significant as popcorn, but... Dude, popcorn. I'm just saying. (laughs) Should we get into some feedback? This week in listener feedback. We don't have any feedback, do we? We we literally just got one as we were recording. What? I know, right? It's like Christmas. How fortuitous. How fortuitous. And it is for Nerds on History. So and it's probably not about me, because it's we, not like not Sarah. Yet. I I don't know how you I knew, but I just heard you're gonna be like the new co-host, and uh, <laughs> I think you're doing a great job. Because it's not like you guys aren't just recording these episodes back to back anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got a piece of feedback from Josh, who said, "I'm a listener from Kentucky who loves listening to you guys. Work flies by when you I listen to your show. Thanks for your hard work." 
I'd like to hear you guys talk about the history of board games in America. Oh, we are you, so on that. Dude, do you know that worry. these two guys just got raging, raging nerdons when you said that? <laughs> Absolutely done. Going to happen. <laughs> no question. Um, and before you get too far in, we apologize for the Atlanta Linus episode before you before you oh, go too farther in. Yeah. Right. You know That's what I'm yeah. About. No, because when he said he was from Kentucky, and I'm like, ooh, yeah. okay. <laughs> So this is what happens there, when I go away. There's when a, I there go was, away. There was a bit of a controversial statement that was made, and it was not intended to be as offensive as it ended up being. So. Yeah, and it ended up being apologized for multiple times. Yes. yes. Over the course of multiple episodes. Yeah. So, Josh, if you want to see what all the drama's about, check out the Atlantis episode. But otherwise, skip the Atlantis episode. Or do what I did and don't listen to it. <laughs> yeah, there's that, too. <clears throat> yes, indeed. Anyway, um, so, uh, what was it? What, what, uh, oh, oh, yeah. talk about the website. Yeah. Okay, so if you guys want to learn more about what we do here at Nerdonomy, you can go to our website, nerdonomy.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash nerdonomy, or you can follow us on Twitter, at nerdonomy. It's very redundant all across the board. Just type in nerdonomy into Google and you will find us. I guarantee you. We promise you that. And if you love nerdonomy, you want to hear more of nerdonomy, then go to our website, click on that donate button. Or perhaps even more importantly... Go out there and tell the masses about us. Tell your friends, tell your family, go on social media, shout us out, let us be known, uh, and then tell those people to hit the donate button too because that's going to keep getting the content to you, folks. Absolutely. And we hope with this episode that since we did a very top level that we've inspired you to look up more about this. As we've always said, don't take our word for it. Do Go out there and research this stuff yourself and find out there is a whole wealth of information that goes beyond what we're able to cover yes, in this there's episode. There's several books written about Nancy Ward. There's a lot written out there about uh, you know the very first people to come to the Americas. Uh, there is tons of information written about food. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, indeed. And of course, uh, you know, the interwebs have lots of information, but um, you know, sometimes nothing replaces a good book. Well, guys, it's that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into us next time. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Bye-bye. Meanwhile, in the Arizona desert. Mr. Armadillo. Mr. Armadillo. Come here, buddy. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't, no, 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 don't walk away, nope. Uh, there you are. Oh, you're so coarse and cuddly. What is my purpose?! <laughs>